Good morning, Fort Worth Bible Church. Uh, my name is Holden Hudson, and I get to be the spiritual formation pastor here. Uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. My wife and I, Megan, joined about a month ago, so we're still getting to meet a lot of people, uh, a lot of new faces for us to meet. But we're excited to be here, and, and sincerely, we, we really are excited about what God is doing with Fort Worth Bible Church. Did, oh, you okay, GK? All right, good. Uh, we really are excited about what God is doing here at Fort Worth Bible Church. The thing that this, this started 10 months ago, almost 11 months, and here we are. Um, so today we're continuing on in the Lord's Prayer. And a quick recap of kind of where we have been so far. We first talked about addressing God as Father and how that moves us into a familial posture with God. And in doing so, it, re- it removes a business-like attitude that removes a transactional-like attitude in our relationship with God. And then Graham talked about last week, uh, what does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name. That this God we know as Father is unique as that. He's completely set apart. There's nothing else in all of creation that is like God. He is hallowed. He is unique in all that he is. There is no other who is father like him. There is no other that is creator like him. There is no other that is is love or truth or good like him. We recognize that his name, all that he is, is hallowed. It's set apart. Graham talked about how this expression of praise then forces us to do business with the things in our lives that we hollow above God, the things that we revere above God. And so we reflect on those things in order that we might demote them so that they don't stand in the way of us hollowing God. And I want to make an observation. Notice how the first two lines in the Lord's Prayer lead us to praise. It's crucial to see that these first couple of lines lead us to praise God. And consider this with me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Since Jesus is, in fact, God in human flesh, then he is undoubtedly the smartest man to ever live. He is the best teacher to ever teach. So there is a purposeful order and divine logic to what Jesus teaches. Keep that with you as we go through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus isn't just throwing out sporadic things to pray about without thought to sequence. So then we must understand how primary praise is in prayer and in coming to God as Father and hallowing his name. Those are postures and prayers of praise that must precede then our asking, our petitioning, our requesting. Praise, in fact, is the place that all of our other requests properly flow out of. And so consider also how little we do this if you're like me. I like to jump into what needs to get done. We're efficient people. Let's skip the praise and worship thing. We know God's great, but stuff needs to get done. What I need, what others need, But see how that can gradually lead you into a business-like, transactional relationship with God when you don't first take the time to praise and remember who he is. So it's crucial. We can't overemphasize that. I heard someone say once that if you only have 10 minutes to pray, spend the first eight in worship and praise, and then let that move you to a place of petitioning from there. I've tried that a couple times, and it's awesome. I'd encourage you guys to, to do that this week even. So now on to this next section of prayer and our focus today. Matthew 6 is where we're at. Uh, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. This is uh, week three of it, I believe. We're in verses, uh, verse 10, following verse 9. If you'd open there with me, um, I'll read verses 9 and 10 for us. Jesus tells us, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And now for our verse today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, notice, going from praise to petition, the first thing that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for specifically is for God's kingdom to come. So think about that. How would you describe God's kingdom? I've asked this question to a lot of people in the couple weeks leading up to this. It's been fun to hear people's answer. How would you describe or define God's kingdom? Think about the things that come to your mind, or maybe you're just confused. Like I think a lot of us are when we think about that. And think, well, what, you know, what exactly is a kingdom? Maybe things that come to your mind, some kind of monarchy where a king and queen rule. Maybe you think of empires throughout history, the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Mongolian Empire. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, I think we can mistakenly associate a lot of these earthly kingdoms with that. But I think more of our propensity is because we have such a lack of an understanding of what kingdoms are we don't really think deeply or critically about what God's kingdom is. Because we don't live in a kingdom. So, it takes more thought to, to wrestle with that. I think this might be one of the, the most misunderstood and underemphasized concepts in all the Western church. Yet it's one of the most prevalent things that Jesus taught about. He was always talking about the kingdom. The Gospel of Matthew alone uses the word kingdom 53 times. And Jesus uses the phrase even the kingdom of heaven 31 times. That's more instances than chapters in the gospel of Matthew alone. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus' first message that he was going about proclaiming was, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're right. John the Baptist also, when he was preparing the way for Jesus, he was preaching, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples to go and heal and cast out demons and preach, what does he tell them to preach? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys are tracking great. See how central the kingdom is to what Jesus taught. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus makes the kingdom of God the first tangible things the disciples are to pray for. So what exactly is God's kingdom? Dallas Willard um, is a genius. I think he gives a great definition of kingdom and God's kingdom for us to work with. Very simply put, he defines kingdom as the range of one's effective will. The range of one's effective will, whether that be the effective will of an entire country, whether that be the effective will of a business like Apple, which are doing a good job of establishing their effective will. We all have iPhones. Whether that be the effective will of a church, ours being to grow the found and to seek the lost, or the effective will of an individual. And so God's kingdom, simply put, is the range of God's effective will where what God wants to happen, happens. And to properly understand and to really begin to dive into God's kingdom and what it is and why he desires for us to participate in it, I think you have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. You don't have to open there, but if you want, we're just going to Genesis 1, first page of the Bible. Look with me there. Here we find that all of creation has been created by our creator God. God has beheld it, and he's called it good, good, but not complete or perfect. We'll come back to that later. And all of creation, of all of it, mankind is given a certain privilege and responsibility that nothing else in creation is given. So read with me verses 26 through 28 now. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Did you catch that? The very next thing that God, the uh, very next thing God bestows upon mankind after making us in his very image is the right to have dominion over everything else in creation, to subdue it, to rule it. So you see, when God creates, he doesn't hoard it to himself. And his authority, God likes to share. And so he invites mankind to rule the earth with him, to have dominion and subdue it for its good, to, to operate in God's, in God's earthly kingdom, walking with him, cultivating, to see the rest of creation flourish under our rule that perfectly cooperates with God's rule. And remember how God created the world good but not complete? I'm not the only one who thinks this, so I'm not crazy, but it's a little speculation. But I believe it was God's intention for mankind to see creation bettered, to cultivate it, to subdue it into a more complete state. It's beautiful what God brought us into. And it really is mind-blowing that he would do this because I don't know of any other religion that has a creation story where the creator actually shares his authority with the creatures. It tells us something profound about our humanity. And it only takes a couple pages, unfortunately, in this story for this co-rulership creation order we have with God to get threatened. The serpent the devil comes to Eve in the garden and he convinces her and Adam that God is withholding. He's withholding from them a higher knowledge, a higher, a higher life. And so they believe him. They decide that what God has commanded and given to us isn't what is best, it's lacking. They decide his kingdom is lacking and they look to establish a rules of their own. And you know the rest of the story. From Genesis 3 on, another kingdom has entered our world. The kingdom of darkness that stands in direct opposition to God's good created world. And consider, look at with me how, real quickly how the Bible speaks of this kingdom that has entered in Genesis 3. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 calls this evil ruler of this kingdom in our world the prince of the power of the air. That's kingdom language. 1 John 5.19 speaks of how the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the god of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. John 16.11 calls him the ruler of this world. This is a part of the curse in Genesis 3. Satan now has, ex has power to exercise his rule to entice us to sin so that he might condemn us before God. And though the kingdom of darkness, yes, is very much so present here and now and real and at work, it has been completely disempowered by the cross. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 connects this for us really well. It reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in the kingdom of darkness, God made alive together with Christ, with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, which is Christ. The cross has rendered Satan and his power and his authority powerless because of the power that lies in the cross. The power that Satan has lies in accusing, right? 
But what does he have to accuse if your record of debt has been canceled? If the cross has set that aside, there's nothing. Was the cross sufficient for only some of your sin, but, but not that one thing? No. The cross is, is sufficient to cancel the, the record of debt that, that stood to condemn you for all of your past, present, and future sin. It was perfectly sufficient. So Satan has no more power to accuse anymore. Can I get an amen? amen. You see also what the cross has accomplished for us. Yes, it canceled the debt that stood against us to condemn us because of our sins. We have forgiveness. Our eternity is secure. We have family status. But it, it has also brought us back restored us back to that which we were created for in Genesis 1, to rule with God in his kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 puts it really well. It says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a present king among, kingdom among us, not just one that's, that we go to someday up in the clouds when we die. It is here now. And I believe one of the greatest false gospels and deceptions the enemy has infiltrated into the church today is this fire escape understanding of salvation. Meaning, the primary purpose of Jesus saving you is just so that you won't burn in hell when you die. And so how you live until you die isn't of that much importance. You can't find this in the Bible while... Eternity is, is, yes, it is one of the many things that is granted to us because of salvation, but it's not the main thing the Bible speaks to, not the main purpose. The main purpose of our salvation isn't only eternal life. When we die, it begins now in a restored relationship to the Father. And that impacts the very way we understand and see and go about all of life because we're now in a new kingdom. This kingdom doesn't begin when we die. It begins right now when God rescues you. I think this, this form of escapism, maybe, uh, it sets aside so much of Scripture that speaks to our life now. And I think we buy, a lot of people buy into it because we don't want to feel bad about the real contents of our faith and how we're living in the kingdom of God. To face that, man, we've just chalked this up to a regular church attendance and a 10% tithe and that's it. That, that can't, can't be it. The main purpose of our salvation is that we would be reconciled in a right relationship to the Father while we live on earth, now, in, in the present, that we might be, as he create, originally created us to be, his co-ruling ambassadors with him, that his kingdom might come more and more here and now in the same way that it is in heaven. So please understand, you are not saved just to not go to hell. You were saved to be restored to the Father through the blood of his Son and then dwelt with the Holy Spirit to be an ambassador of his kingdom now, today, tomorrow, this year, for all of your years, to walk in all of the good works that God has prepared before the foundations of the world for you to walk in. This is fundamental to your humanity. And I think, too, this is one of the reasons I believe the church sees many people leaving the church. Because if all this Christian thing is about is just saying this one-time prayer to save you from hell, and then we just continue on living as we were, I don't want anything to do with that. What's the point of that? I just live in, live in this weird sense of morality and always kind of feel guilty about what I'm, how I'm living because I haven't really embraced God now, and somehow I have a ticket out of hell? That doesn't make any sense. We have to begin teaching this to our children in the next generation 
or else the church will just become increasingly irrelevant to the world we live in because it has no answers. This, this false gospel has no answers to the world we live in. We have, to, we have to model and teach that your faith changes the very kingdom you live in now. The point of your faith isn't to, to keep you from hell, but it's to actively, presently press you into your king, Jesus, to live as he, as he lived. As Jesus being the perfect representative of God's kingdom, of his father's kingdom, that we would strive to do as he, as, as he did. Like it says in John 5.19, it says that Jesus only did what he saw the father doing. That's the goal for us too. That we would only do what we see our father doing to grow into that, become more in tune with that. Now to live in God's kingdom and do what we see the Father doing like Jesus requires some thinking because we can't perceive the kingdom of God with our senses. Nonetheless, we are to live constantly in tune with his kingdom. So how do we understand that? To be in tune with God's kingdom is difficult because even after we're born again in Christ, we, we live life by our five senses. What we can see, hear, touch, taste, smell, but if you will, there, there is a sixth sense by which life is rightly understood, and that's the Spirit of God that has come to permanently indwell our spirit to live by that. And just like we can choose to not use our sense of sight or taste, we can also choose to neglect the Spirit that's been given to us, the Spirit of God. But what happens if I choose not to taste or see? I starve and I'm always lost. How much more damaging to our soul to neglect being in tune with the Spirit of God? So, we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We must constantly fine-tune the ears of our spirit by hearing in faith the word of Christ, Romans 10.17 And so we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. God's kingdom isn't physically visible, so we must, with determination, attune the will of our spirits to God's constantly. This isn't something that just like automatically happens perfectly for you at salvation. It's something that we have to grow in and work out constantly through our lives because there is another kingdom always at work against us. So, what are the things of God's kingdom we want to come? What is God's will in seeing his kingdom come? I know you've probably wanted me just to jump there since I got going, but let's dive, dive into maybe some more practicals now. Well, one, it's, it's seeing earth begin to look more like heaven because of our lives individually and collectively as a church body. It's seeing earth begin to look more like heaven because of our lives individually and collectively as a church body. So think, well, how is it in heaven? Heaven is filled with God's glory. Heaven is filled with worship. That's why we first pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. We start with worship. Heaven is filled with what is true, with what is good, life imparting. It's filled with compassion, generosity. It isn't filled with sin and evil and the effects of sin. There is no oppression, injustice, slander, gossip, hatred, evil, slavery, sex trafficking, racism, pride, selfishness, anger, murder. It isn't filled with demons, disease, and mental illness. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and push back on all the forces of darkness that stand in, in opposition to that and welcome into our lives everything that heaven has. And in our current culture, 
There are so many kingdoms under the rule of the enemy that present ideologies contrary to God's kingdom, and they manifest in a number of ways, some that are easy to discern and some, some that aren't. To name just a few, stealing and profiting money illegally, that's obvious. But the American dream that tells us to pursue wealth and ease and comfort is harder to discern. The LGBTQ plus ideologies and how they defy God's design for gender and sexuality stand against that. But so does hookup culture and pornography. But they often get more of a pass. The right to your body worldview that leads to abortion is obvious, but idolizing your appearance and materialism, that's harder to discern and often gets more of a pass. All of these things are under the dominion of darkness. All of these things are under the kingdom of darkness, every single one. We have to be diligent to search those things out, church, and know what they are, or else we're going to be carried to and fro by all different kinds of philosophies and and ideologies. We have to, to understand what God says to these things and push back against them, not to prove that we're right, but to see people rescued and redeemed and fulfilled in the kingdom of God that our hearts might break for what breaks God's heart. That people live in their sin and shame and know God not and are headed for hell. Man, would God break our hearts to that end to go rescue people, to redeem people, to push back on people that live in all these dominions and ideologies and philosophies of darkness. God calls us to pursue those entangled in them with the truth of his love that they might find freedom and true purpose and being restored back to that which they were created for to co-rule with him in his kingdom. Inviting them into this father who lavishes his love upon them and restores them to what is the greatest purpose of their created humanity. There is no greater human purpose and satisfaction than, than this. And so we seek to establish more of what's in heaven in our lives and the people around us and to any part of the world that God would call you to. And what's wonderful is that to this end, we have the entire treasure chest of heavenly resources available to us through Jesus and in real life imparted by the Holy Spirit. In Luke 12, 31 and 32, it even tells us that it's in seeking first God's kingdom that puts all else in life in right perspective But oftentimes the next verse, I feel like it isn't talked about, it says that it's our Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. It is God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. He wants to open up the heavenly resources to give you all that you can possibly contain to have his kingdom. It is his good pleasure, believe that. Because if we really believe that and begin to grasp this more, that God desires to give us more of his kingdom, if we really begin to grasp that he desires to give us good gifts and that whatever we ask in alignment with heaven, God is saying, yippee, yes, have that. If we really grasp that, we'd stop praying safe prayers. Tyler Statton remarked that if we, if we got this, we would stop praying safe prayers that are so vague, we'd have no idea if God really responded to them or not. If we grasp this also, the church would have a hard time doing anything but pray. So, to give you a few very simple action steps, maybe that will help us more fully attune ourselves to God's kingdom. And they all have to do with praying. Surprise, we're in this series on praying for God's kingdom. So, 
But here are a few things. One, start with yourself. Pray for God's kingdom to come and encompass more of your life. And then two, pray for others. And not just pray for others, but as you find opportunity, pray over others. And then third, pray against the forces of darkness in our city that keep people enslaved to sin. And notice how, obviously, I didn't tell you to do anything but pray because sincere prayer actually forces you to do something. If you're actually praying for these things, it'd be hypocrisy then for you to not begin acting in your life upon them. So pray and mean it. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. You have all of the heavenly resources backing you as you do. It's God's good pleasure to say yes as you pray. And also, too, would want to encourage you to also pray over people like I mentioned. I, I think we're, we're very comfortable praying for, for people silently, and that's great and power in it, in it too, but there's something unique when we get to pray over people out, out loud. It forces us in a more tangible way, I think, to put our faith in God's kingdom on the line in that, in that moment, so to really do something. And I think it's, I really do believe it, it is the best way you, you can love somebody. Richard Foster remarks, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Because there's a good father who has a desire, a good pleasure to act and, and do so. To, to bring people to him, to usher in his kingdom, to see hearts and lives restored to what they were created for. So pray over people. Pray, pray over your kids. Pray over your spouse. Pray over a coworker. Pray over the grocery clerk. Pray over the homeless person that asks you for money. Pray over your, your roommate, your classmate. Of course, ask people how you can pray for them first. Don't just jump in. But ask people how you can pray for them and, and really do it in boldness and see what God will do as he opens your eyes to more of his kingdom in that. As we close what's wonderful and, and how God operates in his kingdom is that he doesn't subjugate us with, with brute force. He doesn't bring us under his control by a, by a domineering force, but he brings us under his control by love. As you grow in understanding and, and experiencing God's love, it will be impossible for you to not surrender more of your will to, to his as our souls taste and see that God is good, we will also see that his will really is good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12 talks about. This is how God expands his kingdom. And unto that end, he will succeed. Habakkuk 2.14 tells us that the glory of the Lord, um, that, uh, tells us that one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And then throughout the whole book of Revelation, we get a small glimpse of the day when God's kingdom will come in its entirety. No longer just spiritual, but also visible when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And until that day comes, there is no greater human purpose than to live our lives more fully engulfed by God's love that we might live more fully for his kingdom today. Church, let's pray together. God, we confess we are often so distracted 
with so many other lesser kingdoms. God, with our own kingdom. God, would you teach us what it means to press into your kingdom? To have your kingdom as, as the primary and, and only kingdom that we would seek to establish, to live by, to grow in. A kingdom that is won by love. A kingdom that restores us back to what humanity was created for, God. Thank you that you would invite us into such a thing or else you wouldn't have told us to pray for it to come if you didn't. So thanks for opening up the way for us in Christ to be even able to pray your kingdom come and your will be done. God, would you make it our supreme joy to see your kingdom come? And to that end, God, would you Man, just reveal to us the things that stand in in the way of that. Convict us and and paint a picture for us of the beauty of your kingdom, God. That we would see darkness pushed back in our city. That we would see people rescued from the sin that they drown in. And that we ourselves would taste and see more of your goodness, God. uh, Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done with Fort Worth Bible Church and in the city of Fort Worth, Texas. In the same way that it is done in heaven. Give us wisdom and lead us to that end as a church. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.